and welcome to another Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive of the happenings of the hospitality industry. So if you're new here, hi, and if you've been here before, welcome back. A little bit about me. I have been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for 20 years. Now you may have seen me on TV, both locally and nationally. You've certainly heard me on radio, both Foodie and the Beast, the food and wine variety show that's been on air for 15 years, but also I do freelance for a lot of people. Um, you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, LinkedIn, and this show now on YouTube. Of course, you can hear us on all the podcast platforms as well. Um, and as I do on every show, I take you on a little tour of where I've been. If you've been following me on social, you know, girl has been out a lot and been eating a lot. Um, I'm barely going to fit into that bikini when I go away shortly, but so what? Okay, so um, the people here in DC love to brunch. Brunch is everything to people. I'm not like really into brunch, but don't tell anybody. Um, the people at Gaylord, the Gaylord Hotel over uh, in National Harbor have heard that brunch roar and are fitting it. They are serving a three course brunch every Sunday it is massive. I think it was too much food personally, and that's something I never say. Uh, but the other diners around me clearly did not agree. They were there for it. So it's a three course uh, brunch. It starts with a massive platter topped with fresh fruit and fresh baked pastries and granola and yogurt and baked oysters and cheeses massive and delicious. I was good there. Then they do this pancake board. 10 pancakes, pots of Nutella and chocolate syrup and maple syrup and whipped cream and butter and all the things that you want to put on top of pancakes, which was delicious. Then there were sandwiches. So we had a steak and egg sandwich that was excellent on a beautiful biscuit. And then there was a tiered platter of desserts. So um, for you brunch people, this is definitely for you. It is um, bodacious, if I can say, at the very least. Um, okay, but then I got my wellness on because I needed a little bit of that. I went to the new Ballion Springs, which is out in Alexandria. Now it's in an industrial park, so don't let that turn you off. It's got all these beautiful Tibetan or Balinese uh, styled statues around. And then it is a complete wellness center, a beautiful rooftop pool, which this part was really cool. Everywhere around the pool, you can sit and there's little massagers everywhere. So you can get your tushy massage, you can get your back massage, you can get massaged everywhere. And people are just lounging and hanging out. They have a beautiful cafe downstairs. And then on the first floor, all these fantastic pool activations. So pools and water activations at different temperatures. You can go into multiple different kinds of saunas and steam rooms. The salt Himalayan salt room is actually my favorite, a great place to meditate. They also had a red light room. You can get spa services there. Um, amazing meditation room, which I partook in. Uh, I love a lead meditation. And then we did, um, wait, I have to look it up what it's called. Oh, a ritual sound bath at the end. It was my first one. I was a virgin. But now that I've done it, I'm definitely going to be doing that again. So much fun. And definitely a thing you either want to go with like as a couple or with a bunch of friends. 
it's just a cool way to chill out for a day. Um, I got to sit with one of my favorite women in the restaurant industry, Lydia Chen. Uh, she is one of the business minds behind her father's very famous business, uh, Peter Chen. And uh, we sat at Chen Cheng, which is uh, not just a few blocks from here at the gorgeous wine lair. Um, and she took me through a tasting of the new menu there. They are executing a lot of new tastes um, and the space is really light and bright and modern. Um, and anytime I get to sit with her and chat is always great, but getting to eat her father's food is just as good as well. Um, oh, and one quick last one. Um, Chris Morgan, who's here with me, knows on the last Foodie and the Beast, um, we had the creamery in and it opened up down the street from my house and um, I had not been in. So we did just go and that ice cream, is really, really good. So it's new, it's in Chevy Chase. I ordered, it's called the ice cream sandwich, but it's basically like somebody took a bunch of ice cream sandwiches and whipped them up and it's really chunky and yummy. Um, I don't like get all gaga for ice cream, but um, I'm really glad it's down the street from me now because I will go and eat more of it. So, okay, everything you heard here, you can find on the listeryona.com and also you can follow me at Nikki Nellis. But I have been racing through this last portion of the show because I want to get to my guests today. Um, I'm so honored uh, to have uh, both of them joining me, but um, the woman with me really needs no introduction, um, but I'm going to give it to her anyway. Uh, Najmia Batman Glitch. Batman Glitch. Did I say it right? Yes. Thank you. Good. I needed help. Okay. Uh, she has spent the past 40 years cooking, traveling, and teaching us about Peruvian cuisine through her books and recipes and demos and teaching and everything. The Washington Post calls her the guru of Persian cuisine. Um, food of life, Silk Road cooking, from Persia to Napa, uh, cooking in Iran, most recently, uh, Persian cooking for dummies. All these books are her. The New York Times has named her one of seven immigrant women who have changed the way Americans eat. And most recently, she has partnered with Chef Chris Morgan here to open up June, which means my dear, um, a Persian restaurant here in DC. So I want to thank you both for joining me uh, today. Uh, Chris, as I told you before the show starts, I love that you're here, and I would love to chat with you the entire show. <laughs> but this one's the star, so I'm starting with her. So, um, no offense taken. Okay, good. I, I, don't, I wanted to tell you, June is more than dear. Tell me. June means life. Life. Also, is a term of endearment mm -hmm. at the end of the uh, people's name. For example, Chris, I call him Chris June. Right. Because I know him and I love him. So the way June is uh, has more it's it's more than dear it's it's very intimate it's uh, when you tell someone june you really mean it but do you <laughs> sometimes use it also like i heard my girlfriend anna who is persian she calls me nikki june but sometimes when she's annoyed to me with me she's like nikki june i feel like she's being like <laughs> my dear <laughs> But if she call you June, means that she really likes you. Uh -huh. Because Iranian, they don't call just people June okay. randomly. Okay. <laughs> well, so listen, as I told you before, um, I have a lot of Persian friends. They're very jealous, and I'm here sitting with you today, mm -hmm. talking to you. Um, can we just talk about your journey? Because you're born in Iran, you came here for university, but then you went back to Iran, mm -hmm. and you had to yeah. escape. 
Can we yeah. talk about that a little bit? Uh, yes. Uh, I always loved cooking and I wanted to become a cook, but my mother wouldn't allow me in the kitchen. <laughs> she right. would say, go to university, get your education. You have mm. plenty of time to cook. And she was right. I came here uh, when I finished my high school. Uh, I came here for college. Mm-hmm. I went to university, undergraduate and graduate school. I received master's degree and returned to Iran and handed my master's degree to my mother and she allowed me in her kitchen. Okay. <laughs> and I, I worked with my mom and with my aunt. My mom was fantastic salad food. She didn't like pastry. My aunt was very good pastry. Mm-hmm chef, I call her, but paste, she was pasty. She loved pastry. So I learned from my mom and my aunt, and I had a small book, as the French say, a small booklet, and I uh, write it down all the recipes. Mm-hmm. And um, I met my husband, Mohammed, in mm-hmm. Iran. We got married. It was two years before revolution, when mm-hmm. the Iranian revolution uh, took a very fundamental step. We had to escape. We went to, we were refugees in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not have documents. Uh, I did not speak French. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, did not know anyone. And um, decided I was pregnant with my first son, Zog. Okay. Uh, so you had a lot going on. Yes, there okay. was a lot of going on. And especially I came first because Muhammad had to come with different uh, documents, mm. so uh, he came two months after me, so the first two months was very difficult. I bet. I cry every day. Mm. Um, there's a, there is a lot of my tears in Mediterranean mm-hmm. water, <laughs> but uh, it was challenging. So I remember the best day of my life when Muhammad arrived. Mm-hmm. And, and we uh, we lived in a small village called Wands in south of France. Mm-hmm. And as being an Iranian woman, I cooked for, for all my neighbors. Mm-hmm. After a few months, they all eating Persian food. <laughs> and uh, one of my neighbors said, Najme, you should uh, you should translate your recipe into French. Mm-hmm. So it took me almost two weeks to write a recipe in French because I had to look up all the dictionary sure. and everything. And uh, she helped me. It was a wonderful woman. Hmm. Um, but let me ask you, when you moved to France and your husband joined you and, and you started cooking and you're feeding your neighbors, were the products that you, that you were used to cooking with yes, in Iran? Were, were, because that's a very good question. Because uh, sort of France is next to it- Italy, mm-hmm. Genoa, actually, mm-hmm. that city, Nice, and next to Genoa, which is uh, the, 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 the next to Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very much, uh, their ingredients and foods, it's very much like Persian food. Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of the, the dish that I made first was eggplant, tomato, and saffron. And, sure. And, and, and this is typically Persian food, and it's very Provençal, as they say. Mm-hmm. It's very, with, in south of France, they make this tomato and eggplant. The ratatouille sure. is very much like that. So uh, they, I didn't have to worry about it because once it was the center, I could get rose water because once it was the center of all the kind of 
rose water, orange blossom water. It's a center of distillation in, in, in France. So oh. I had access to that. And of course, being Iranian, I brought some saffron with me. I was going to say, I assumed you had it in your suitcase. But, you know, but in, 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 there's an influence of Algerian and Moroccan in France, especially in South of France. So there was a lot of ingredients I could get. Oh. It was not difficult. You know that uh, at that time, um, um, people from South of France, uh, Alain Ducasse was that, mm -hmm. that region. Um, Jean-Louis Pladen, sure. which she was, he was from that region. Mm -hmm. So we, so, uh, Roger Verge was my, I loved his, the way he cooked and mm -hmm. his book become the model for my book. His, Roger Verge book is Ma Cuisine du Soleil. Right. My first cookbook, Ma Cuisine d'Iran. Mm -hmm. So when I, it was an homage. Was homage to, yes. And then I learned how to write um, you know, I had to write recipes in French mm. because I use this book as my model because, you know, even though you know a language, but cooking has its own language. Sure. So the things you have to learn, a lot of people, they don't know that slangs of that uh, region. So Well, plus, as you said, you were cooking a cuisine that your neighbors were not as informed on. Yes. Um, you know, this is quite some time ago. Um, 44 so years ago. So, exactly. but the the palates of people were not as experienced That's true. as they are today. The access right. to product, to taste, That's flavors, and and even narratives is not. You know, we have Google. I mean, we have things that sort of give us access today. So when you had this book in France, it's a success. But you come to the states. How did you, how did you decide to change well, In that? France, we were refugee. Right. But in America, when we moved to America, we were immigrant. Mm -hmm. It's totally different story, mm -hmm. being refugee and immigrant. Because you, when you immigrant, you, it's a conscious decision. You know exactly where you want to go and you have all your documents propers. And then you, of course, in America, there's a stage you, you get your green cards and you become citizen. And mm -hmm. this, you have to go through all these things. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, we choose Washington area because it was more cosmopolitan, mm -hmm. uh, because we came from Tehran ourselves. Um, of course, Tehran is very cosmopolitan, 11, 11 million population. Mm. Now it's 16 million at that time. So it's uh, very cosmopolitan like New York. The culture of America is not in New York. Mm -hmm. The culture of America is in in Oklahoma, in, in uh, uh, New Jersey, in different it's not countries. Right. In Iran, the culture of Iranian people is not in Tehran. Okay. Even though I'm from Tehran, the real culture is in provinces around mm. the Tehran. So, okay. so that's why I'm so happy I was able to do the cooking in Iran mm -hmm. because I went, uh, I traveled throughout regions, I cook with locals, I taste their recipes, mm -hmm. and I noticed that every region has their own um, recipes sure. because of or the, this ref reflection of geography, vegetations, customs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was fascinated. You can make um, fesenju, which is walnut and pomegranate sauce, which mm -hmm. originated in north of Iran, but every region in Iran, they make it and they add something in it. Some added uh, uh, plums and apricot in it, some region add 
tamarind even even the summer region add sour cherry in it. Mm. So it depends where what is available. So the same dishes when you go to different region, um, you get totally different results. Well, I feel like in I mean you do see some of that in the United States, but yeah. more of it in Europe um, and the Middle Eastern countries and in Africa. That you know. In Italy, what they're cooking up north is nothing like what they're cooking down south. You know, the because the temperature, the soil, the terroir, yeah, whatever it is. That's right. Because in northern Iran, for example, they use a lot of garlic. Mm -hmm. In southern Iran, they don't use much, as much of garlic. They use a lot of spices, mm. and then use uh, chili because the Portuguese influence. There's sure. a lot of spicy dishes in uh, southern Iran. The uh, sour agent in southern Iran is tamarind, sour orange. In northern Iran, it's pomegranates, uh, the oranges and mm -hmm. limes. And in the middle of Iran, is vinegar. What a vinegar and cash is the middle of Iran. Right. You don't get that. Mm -hmm. So it re really depends which region you are. Well, so when you came to the United States, you immigrated here, and you already had a well-received cookbook in France. in France. So. What was what was the American knowledge at that point of Persian cooking? Not much. I feel like the dummy cookbook for example, should have started first. You know, <laughs> this is my first book. I remember that a lot of people asked me, "What is this pomegranate?" They did not know. And which is amazing. You could not find pomegranates in 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 safe China at that time. Right. food wasn't there. <laughs> so uh, now I find. Pomegranate, molasses, rose water, and whole foods. Right. It's all. Which is fantastic. You know, the, you, American audience really educated about all this ethnic food. Anna. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you look over the last 40 years, the diner today, no matter where they're from, I mean, it is a, you can flame or applaud Food Network or the internet, however you want to look at it, but access to other cuisines, other narratives, other people's histories and the products. And then and during pandemic, I got all my um, Persian ingredients from uh, uh, sadaf.com. Right. You know, it's fantastic. They deliver it to you. It's, nowadays, uh, it's not important where you are, wherever you are, mm -hmm. you can, all, through internet, you get all the ingredients. Persian ingredient or any exotic ingredient, which is fantastic at that domain. When you wrote your first cookbook, and we will move on, but when you wrote your first cookbook here in the States, how was it received and was there a lot of pushback? The first cookbook, we, uh, we I sent the manuscript to a number of the publishers. Nobody wanted to touch it, even the hostages. Right, that's what I was thinking, yes. right. Uh, but I did not... My goal was I wanted to share something I had a very uh, deep connection. Mm -hmm. You know, I start my cookbook because I want to connect with my childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, when you start right, cooking the recipes, uh, cooking and dishes, I want to connect with my childhood. I want to connect with my mother's pantry. Uh, I want to taste the, the, all these foods. And then I was pregnant and I wanted my kids know about their culture mm -hmm. through food you know I want them to learn about Persian saffron ice cream sandwich which I had it every afternoon I wanted them to taste I feel like I should introduce you to that ice cream guy <laughs> and do something there but go ahead yeah I wanted to uh, taste the you know 
uh, fig jams and queen's mm-hmm. jams and butter and barberry bread. Mm-hmm. That was a, our breakfast in the morning. On oh, the Persian New Year. And I started writing about the ceremonies I, because I thought it's very important our kids, the second generation, know about the background, their ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And then, so I didn't actually write for other people. I wrote it for myself. And all these books happened organically. I didn't plan it. I had no idea. Actually, I didn't know about my reputation until 10 years ago. My son said, Mom, you should get an email. You know that you are, people write about you. <laughs> I had no idea. It's because I was busy. Mm-hmm. Children, sisters, my husband's sisters, um, taking care of Middle Eastern husband, mm-hmm. writing cookbooks, testing recipes. And then I was very... Entertaining uh, for all those people. Yes. I have no and doubt. Yeah, yeah, People coming to your house, they expect the best. I think one of the problems in our restaurant, because everybody, you know, people emailed me, they said, when I ate at Maidan, and I really, then I, uh, Chris Morgan was a chef there. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I realized that you and Chris are cooking, I came to your rest, to June restaurant immediately because I thought we're going to eat magic. Mm-hmm. See, their expectation is very high. This is a, it's a lot of responsibility on our trip. No, but I don't want to lower people's expectations. It's exciting <laughs> it's that you two found each other. Um, why don't we get into that? How did you, how did you both meet? Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris' uh, mom bought my cooking class for Chris. So when you were how old? Uh, this was in twenty seven eight years ago. Twenty twelve, twenty eleven. So yeah. where were you cooking at that point? I was at the was- Cafe in San Francisco. Okay, yeah. so it's not like you weren't cooking in a good place. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And, and um, you know, I had to every week. I had a cooking class in my house in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Usually between eighteen and twenty five people participate. Okay. And one of my class that Chris was there was 25, when whoever becomes a student, uh, they immediately they become a child. They were a lot of, they were demanding group of students. They asked me questions. I had to concentrate. Is there fear? Are the questions based on fear that they don't want to screw up? I don't know what it is. Okay. Whatever it is, I think uh, it's, it's too much to handle sometimes because there were 25 adults and I had to prepare six courses from scratch from fresh ingredient in two hours. That was the class. I get it. So uh, all of a sudden, somebody this young, beautiful uh, <laughs> man came to me and said, can I help? I said, of course. Can you put these things, these, these? So he became a soup? <laughs> and he, less, all, yeah. all of a sudden, he was so good. Mm-hmm. He saved me that day, I remember. And then uh, that was the story started. Then he continued coming to my cooking class, mm-hmm. which I didn't charge him. <laughs> he did he help you out? Yeah, yeah. We help each other. Yeah, no, and it was, it was funny. So when I was there, I grew up in McLean, where there's a large Iranian population. I was I got to eat that food at a very young age through friends and family. And mm-hmm. my sister's boyfriend of seven years was, is Iranian, and mm-hmm. I got to eat some incredible meals, all of which you know were kind of embedded in me from a young age. I just always had a love for Persian food. And then when I was in San Francisco, like she was saying, I was cooking her recipes out there, oh. studying the food while I was in culinary school and while I was working at Zuni Cafe and 
couple other restaurants. Mm -hmm. And when my mom went to the class, she said, my son loves your food. He's excited about Iranian food. And then she sent me a book and her book said, happy cooking chef Najmi. And it's dated. And I still have it with at the restaurant. That's so sweet. And, uh, yeah, that was my, my real, I mean, I remember it was, I still have it. I love that book. And yeah, then when we came home, we finally met and then since uh, so we've done a lot together. Yes. And then, uh, uh, I was sitting in my home, in my kitchen, I guess. That was eight years ago, mm -hmm. seven years ago. Uh, Reza Ben Farahani came to me mm -hmm. and he said, Najmi, I want to do a cook, uh, I want to do a restaurant with you. Okay. So now, had you ever done restaurants before? Yes. I, okay. I collaborated the restaurant in Dubai. They invited me, you know, Dubai has the best restaurant. They invite chefs from all over the world mm -hmm. and they create, they have, Cosmopolitan. Whenever you go there, it's. it's I am going in December, yeah. so I cannot so, wait. Yeah, <laughs> that's they call Anar. Anar in Persian means pomegranate. Anar mm -hmm. restaurant, and then I collaborated with in Bahrain also okay, with I'm the restaurant. They call me Yas. Also, I had the best Japanese food in Bahrain. Okay, even though I'll I add to it to the list. Food, okay, they they actually they're copying very much like what's happening in Dubai. So in Bahrain, Yas at Siv Mall. It, they now they have a uh, chain also. Okay. I collaborate with them from A to Z, even the design and everything. But uh, in America, no. Okay. Nobody was as brave as Reza Farahani come to me and say, I want to open a restaurant. Reza was totally a stranger to this city, right? Yeah. He didn't know anyone. So uh, then I said, okay, I called Chris immediately. I said, I need your guidance. And he gave me some guidance. And I called back and he said, this is my condition. And he, 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 he went away for a, a year or so. <laughs> then he came back mm -hmm. and he said, okay, let's but have But so how did you get involved with it? Uh, so she recommended, he yeah. was looking for someone to be a kind of a director of culinary operations for. No, he said, I said that if Chris be on the board, yeah. I will okay. be on the board. That was the condition. Yeah. And I put this together and they, yeah, they got along, and if your first project was in Florida, yeah. So we, I worked on a couple other. He wanted like a culinary director for some stuff he was already working on. Mm -hmm. I was running Bammies at the time, still am, but the, this was early on when we just had opened, and he and I got to chatting and had a lot of similar likes and food, and, and kind of we got along really well, and obviously had the Najmi connection, um, and yeah. So he's he and I started working together with. And still in mind that he wanted to open a, a Persian restaurant with Najmi, which I was super excited about. And then sure. it was kind of a matter of just waiting for the right time and location. Okay. Which was always on. It took two years to find a At place. At least, yeah. yeah. To find a place and renovating the front and back. Yeah, and we were trying well, to find the right location. Create a menu. But also, I mean, given the massive Persian uh population here in the mm -hmm. DC metro area, not just in McLean and mm -hmm. Potomac and in DC. What's fascinating is, is that there are no upscale Persian restaurants in this area. There's some fast casual ones, kebab shops, there, there things is, of the other. There is, there is Rumi restaurant. Rumi, okay, Rumi was the first one. It's a transplant. They're originally from Atlanta. That's true. But it's not bad. It's not bad. I don't want to put it because having a restaurant is not easy. No, but so, but I, that's sort of what I was going to say is that, you know, the Persian community cooks Persian food at home. 
That's true. Right? So we don't have a tradition of, of restaurant tradition. So um, it's it's hard to bring people into I, I know like I've had um Indian chefs, you know, who are saying I'm doing a regional Indian cuisine, whether it's from Punjab or whatever, and it's hard when people from that area come in because they want it to taste like their mothers mm -hmm. and they, you know, I don't have that. You know, I didn't grow up with that. My mother's a terrific cook, but she cooked everything. So I don't go into a restaurant thinking, oh, you know, this should taste like my mom's. But that's a very different experience when the traditions of what you grew up with are served on a plate in a restaurant. That's very true. Iranians uh, are very chauvinist about their food mm -hmm. and they expect the best because, because, yeah, I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, the, you know, we Iranians, we have in diaspora, mm -hmm. we have neither the umbrella of religion or government. Mm -hmm. The only umbrella we have is Persian culture. Mm -hmm. And the center of Persian culture food. So that is very important for Iranian. They get together, they cook, they recite poetry and tell jokes. So I think June is a good place for that, right? Absolutely. So um, we, are, we, I think we make good food. Don't think yeah, I think. <laughs> he's like our cooking actor. Yes, I think we make. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Yes. So, can we talk about the menu, how you collaborated, and mm -hmm. how you're executing it? So, sure. I mean, I'm, look at all these books. Look at all these recipes. I mean, you have an encyc two encyclopedias right here, of of recipes and concepts and uh, regionalities to put on a menu, how did you sort of winnow it down? Well, I think focusing on regional dishes was super important. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had the dishes that you'd expect to see walking uh -huh. into a Persian restaurant and to make sure those are well executed, uh -huh. of course. But then one of the things that I found super fascinating uh, that Najme's studied extensively are the different regional dishes, which is where things have different nuanced flavors or ingredients that are lesser known to your average Iranian That's because right. they are from maybe yeah, Tehran no, or they're from the South, but they haven't had a dish. They may not even know about a dish that exists. Like, like our sardine, sardine. Yeah. Our sardine exactly. which is, you know, I got the recipe from a fisherman mm -hmm. in Southern. Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious and everybody loves it. And some of the Iranian from Tehran, they said, we didn't have sardine. I said, where are you from? Yeah. From right. Tehran, you didn't know. But I think that's what makes it fun and unique, which is where we're different from other uh, Persian restaurants. Yeah. Is, and it makes it really exciting for me culinarily is learning about the different regions and the uh -huh. different flavors, and then also introducing those flavors to, you know, Persians coming to eat dine at the restaurant. And, you know, but I would- non-Persian. Huh? So you said even, something, even Persian, they right? Know. But both, but, but non-Persian. That's right. You said something about you know somebody comes into a Persian restaurant. There are certain things they expect yeah. on the menu. What? Uh, fest in June. They mm -hmm. they want a fest in June. Some of them they want very sour fest in June because they're used to it. Right. Some of them they like it uh, very sweet. Right. But our fest in June is sweet and sour, which is this is typically Persian. Characteristic of Persian food. Okay. Sweet and sour. We use a lot of fruits. Fessing mm -hmm. for the audience, they don't know. It's walnut, walnut, onion, garlic, and pomegranate mm -hmm. cooked all day. It's puree and cooked all day. And then, uh, originally the first Fessing was with ducks. 
the north of Iran, they eat all kinds of birds. It's amazing. Hmm. Even the, the, their uh, eggs, they have quail eggs in the market, duck eggs. They don't just eat uh, <laughs> chicken eggs. Okay. So it's funny. North of Iran, they make it with birds. So our pesenjun cooked with fresh uh, duck. Yep. We crisp the duck and mm -hmm. we make our sauce. And we, we are not using duck, duck comfy because I know some of the Iranian restaurants they use. Because that's what I think Americans think duck is supposed to taste like yeah. in a stew, yeah. right? Mm. I mean, that's just... So we braise ours in the pomegranate yes, and yes, walnut sauce. sauce. Mm. Walnut sauce and delicious one, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course. And then in a different region, they use, again, they use different things in it. But that's our, our festival drink, very simple yeah. and delicious. And then our, our kebab menu features a lot of things that are expected. You know, we have juje kebab, which we have a boneless chicken, uh, as well as a bone-in Cornish hen option. Which traditionally, we had bone, bone chicken kebab. Yeah. Boneless is not traditionally yeah. because they didn't know how to debone it. Remember this Absolutely, is ancient yeah, time. Yeah. And um, we have, but this is very important. I think I want your audience to know about it. Mm. Um, that This is not house of kebab. If you want a house of kebab, there are plenty of them around the United but States. But you did Our feel that you had to have kebab. We have menu. to because right. it's part it's part of Persian culture. Sure. But kebab associated with Iranians always in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Iranian they don't make kebabs at home. Mm. They go eat kebab in the restaurant. But what we have done, I think Persian food is more than kebab. In the last 44 years, I try to say that. We have so many delicious vegetarian dish, so many delicious dishes which are not kebab. Mm -hmm. And that's our menu is all about. Mm -hmm. I want to concentrate on that. If you want to just have a kebab, go to another <laughs> place. Come to our restaurant and try to taste different dishes. We didn't do kebabs, just so you know. When I went, I did not have kebabs. Yeah. I was there for the tajik. Yeah. That's the dish I want. That's yeah. my yeah. That's my go-to. Yes. So, yeah, we have golden cross taddy for every Mm -hmm. dishes. Yeah. Uh, we have rice, family's rice with lamb shang. Mm -hmm. uh, we have... Can we talk about barberries? Yes. I was going to bring to you something. This, this is barberries. So, barberries... Yes, talk to me about barberries. Barberries come from Mashhad, Khorasan, which is northwest of Iran. Mm -hmm. And it's come in the bush. It's not a tree. Okay. And it's harvest. I went there and did a lot of photos. You have it in that book. Mm -hmm. Harvest barberry is month of October. It's okay. happened. And barberry bushes are next to saffron. Oh. It's very funny. When the time of harvest in saffron, they harvest barberry. You see that on the street, the big branches of fresh barberry. People are selling it. The vendors selling it. And the barberry juice also. Iranian believe you have to have glass of barberry juice every year, at least one glass. It has a cleansing power, so it's it's very important. Is it so are you gonna start making that? It has a it uh, it has a lot it, I saw barberries in China. Mm -hmm. They use it as a medicine. Mm. They they believe in barberries so much. They use it they don't use it in their food. I think it's the only country they use barberry in their food. You can get barberries, dry barberry we soak it mm -hmm. and then we caramelize it and we use it in our dishes. Okay. We have barberry in our tachi. 
We have because I think of barberries like when I think of like I'm looking at that dish. I think of barberries like a currant. Yes, you know? look like a currant. Yeah, yeah, they look like a currant. It's a tart. Yeah, they're tart. Yes, yes, and a beautiful color. We have two kind of barberries. There's a black barberries, which we don't have it here. Is but in Iran they use it. And then we have red barberries. Mm -hmm. And we glaze. Tell tell everyone about the duck. Yeah, so we have a um, 14 day dry aged whole duck, mm-hmm. or we did a really fun combination of things. Um, it is. Do we have to order that in advance? No, you can order it going into the restaurant. Okay. We, have, uh, we do them on our rotisserie. Mm-hmm. So they're cured and then hung for two weeks and then with, and stuffed with sour orange and fresh herbs. And then we um, season them, throw them on the rotisserie, we glaze them when, while they're cooking. Wow. Uh, and then with barberies. With barberries and, and a little bit of pomegranate. And great molasses, and then when they come off the rotisserie, we present them whole to the table, break them down, and they get served with our uh, sour cherry rice or albalupolo with tadig, and then uh, we serve them with a Barbary preserve that we make, which is absolutely phenomenal. Sounds delicious. Um, so it's you got that nice sweet and sour to go mm-hmm. with the fat of the duck, which is and this amazing. Is, and this is typically duck with pomegranate and barbary mm-hmm. is a very typical. With cilantro and garlic mm-hmm. is very typically dish of north of Iran. Okay. And we have another dish which we, I love it. It's uh, whole branzino stuff with yep. walnut, barberries, and uh, garlic. A lot of a lot of herbs. Herbs, mm. a lot of herbs. Mm-hmm. It's come roasted and it's so delicious. We serve it with plain rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, a lot of good. people love it. That's one of our favorites. Yeah, we actually we we take the fillets off the spine by cutting them straight down the middle, mm-hmm. down the back, and we open up the side of the fish and we stuff the fish from the top down so the fish sits flat like on its belly Ooh. on a roasting tray, and mm-hmm. we roast it whole with the stuffing, and then we put some fresh stuffing around it that's mixed with a little bit of fresh unfiltered olive oil as well, that's and then delicious. fresh herbs and flowers to garnish. There's another dish we have is the large shrimp. We marinate it with cilantro, garlic, sour orange, and then we grill them. Oh, mm. That's so delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that dish. Yes, that's one. right. Yeah. So yeah. when, um, so you have to deal with the Persians when they come in because they want the dish the way they want the mm-hmm. dish. But when you have people from other cultures who come in, they love it. <laughs> I know they love it. But how do you? How does your staff work with them? If somebody looks at the menu and says, help me, how to learn more about the cuisine? I want to, I heard the restaurant is terrific. I know about both of you, but how do I, how do I work my way through the menu? Because the uninitiated, the person who does not know Persian cuisine is going to go to kebabs because that's, that's something they recognize, right? I think what I've explained to them is, and how I like people to eat the restaurant is to get order kind of a myriad of things. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've taught our staff as best I can. And so is chef Najmi on fun. T- I, I like to tell them to think about tablescapes, right? So think about a beautiful table that's edge to edge with food mm-hmm. and creating that multiple times throughout the meal, subbing things in and out as you go, but not coming in and veering people towards entree ordering, which I absolutely hate for me personally. When I go out to eat, I like to go to restaurants. Even when I go somewhere that has entree sections, I like to build out my own meal. So there's mm-hmm. a mix and ma- I can mix and match things on the table or take a bite of this and take a bite of that, you know, as opposed to going in and people have a tendency, especially when they're not comfortable with the cuisine to just hone in on what, what's your main, your main going to be, what's right. your entree. 
I like to rip that out of my server's heads and try to explain to them that the best way to eat here is to have a mix of things. So maybe allow a table four top to get one kebab mm-hmm. and then to get a horash, which is the braised dishes like we talked about with right. the, uh, with the fest in June, or maybe they get a whole brain Zeno and they get some spreads and salads and pickles and other things to have at the oh. table so that you can build on that throughout the meal, but kind mm-hmm. of, and then, you know, dumbing it down a little bit. So to someone that doesn't know a ton about the cuisine, Telling them, you know, if they were interested in the fest in June, which on paper, you know, they just see duck and they're maybe, I'm confused, just it's braised duck with pomegranate and walnut. Right. Simple. Sweet and sour, delicious, served with rice, fresh herbs. That's all you really need to know. And if they understand that, you can reach people by saying, you know, oh, okay, so it's fall apart tender. Absolutely it is. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend. And I like when servers use their own preferences and likes and tastes to self dishes as opposed to regurgitating some, you know, script, some script, which Agreed. I actually hate, you know, mm-hmm. some, I've gone to my, some restaurants I'm really excited about and the server tells me something and I'm like, Oh, that was kind of fun. And then I hear them say the same thing in the next table. Right. It ruins the experience for I me. Agree. And I think for me, I like servers to latch on to things they enjoy. And I'm like, sell them on what you like. Say, Hey, this is how it's traditionally offered. Mm-hmm. We recommend, you know, traditionally this would be eaten with this, but what I personally like, and what a lot of guests love is when you order this and this and this and you kind of eat those things together. And right. I think that creates a fun opportunity for a beautiful tablescape, but also creates a different experience. Because the goal would be that you can come into our restaurant and order the same six dishes twice and have a totally different meal based on how they come out. And how and you put it together. Exactly. Well, and then that feels like a signature dish is pistachio meatballs. Oh, yeah. People love that. They do. That's one of our favorite dishes. This is the recipe I got at 60th century cookbook. A lot of Iranian even they don't know about it. Okay, tell me. What I have done with a lot of my cookbooks, I sort of brought the forgotten or uh, perdu is lost recipe to the surface, which I'm very proud of it. Mm-hmm. So the pistachio meatball was one of the recipe I found it in 16th century cookbook. You know, at the Persian food, we have old Persian, middle Persian, and modern Persian. Mm-hmm. A lot of Iranians cannot read or understand the, the 16th century, uh, even though they, they speak Persian, but you have, you need dictionary to, in order to understand. Yeah. So, uh, pistachio meatball is one of them. So somebody uh, said, oh, we didn't have that. Of course you didn't have it because you didn't. But uh, when I went to travel to Iran, I found it in Kerman, actually. I, I, in a, the very remote places in Kerman, I found pistachio meatball because pistachios grows in Kerman. So when you were doing this book, this took you all around Iran. Was that the first time that you were in a lot of these? After. Uh, uh, but was it the first time... That you were in a lot of these regions yes. and learned about, yes. but you mm-hmm. went with intention. Yes, yes. I had people who were waiting for me. Mm-hmm. My host, which are usually most of them were women. No, mm-hmm. actually, eighty women waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I met them in their house. They took me to the market. Mm-hmm. I went to market, and um, we cook all day. Sometimes one day or sometimes two days. And I want. I made sure I gave the money to them, not to their husband. Because these women came from a humble backgrounds, mm-hmm. and that money in dollar was very important. I'm we, sure. we made cash. We traveled through Iran. There are four of us. Mm-hmm. We had a photographer, very professional photographer. Mm-hmm. We had uh, my my cousin became my assistant because 
She knew the places. It was very, you know, even though I'd returned to Iran, it was like I'm in exile because things have changed. Sure. For not being there for 35 mm. years, things changed totally. Right. So, and then we had a very good driver. Mm -hmm. He was from Kurdistan. My photographer from, uh, came from a tribal. So, and, um, <laughs> so we'll, uh, four of us were different from different regions of Iran, hmm. traveled in the car. One day I loved to take Chris with me mm -hmm. and said we share this. Uh, I bet that's really high. Yeah. Jose Andrea also said that one day he wants to come with me. So I have <laughs> uh, no doubt that would also be a good trip. Yeah. Um, you, you should come along too. I, I'm inviting myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, can we? I want to get to this book before we yeah. wrap up and finish up on June. But from Persia to Napa, wine at the Persian table. I'm amazed by this book. So can you tell me about how you went yes. about it? And yes, why? from Persia to Napa, because uh, one of my I am a member of Le Dame du Scoffier. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues asked me, Najmi, do you have wine in your country? Mm. I was sort of insulted. Then this book is the result of that. Okay. Because I did so research. So why were you I insulted? Because I knew that Persian, ancient Persian were winemaker and wine drinkers. Right. Uh, I have documented the Persian were making wine in 7,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. We have sediment of acid tartaric of wine in the old clay pots right like the, the, the residues right like, like they had right yes so it goes back to seven thousand years mm -hmm. and uh, i'm talking about grape wine rice wine goes to nine thousand which is chinese making right <coughs> so i did research uh not only persian they made the wine wine was originated between persia and georgia someplace there mm -hmm. according to my document and this is the first persian book paired with wine pairs with recipes like fes and june pairs with special wine or mesabzi paired with different wine. one thing about this book this book is full of poetry mm. all the iranian poet wine was forbidden in iran since seventh century when arab came to iran right when islam came to iran mm -hmm. but wine never left iran poets and court always drank wine Mm -hmm. And I want to read you, this book is full of poetry, okay. the poetry that relate to wine. Mm -hmm. So um, this, uh, what Rumi, the, the 13th century Persian poet, mm -hmm. uh, says about wine and why wine was forbidden in Iran. Okay. I thought that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Evil wounds always come from a loss of self-control. Wine makes a person ruder who has rudeness in his soul. A wise man, when he drinks, will seem to grow more clever. And even nature man will turn not worse than ever. But since most man's behavior is an absolute disgrace, wine has become forbidden to everyone just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Dick Davis translate this. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I put the Persian version Mm -hmm. Because a lot of Persians are suspicious, so I put the Persian. They want to know. They want it. They want it. Yeah. So um, let me recite the Persian poetry too. Nahame joy bi khodi meshar konat bi adabro mechonon tar bi konat 
گر بود عاقل نکوفر می شود و بر بود بدخوی بدتر می شود لیک اغلب چو بدند و ناپسند بر همه می را محرم کرده اند This is for your Persian audience oh, yes, Thank you so much That was so beautiful Thank you um, I have a roommate quote You will love this side. book uh, uh, Yes uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it yes. It sounds very interesting Because especially you're in I mean we're in the wild layer <laughs> Right of all places um, Unfortunately we are going to have to wrap up So Chris if you don't mind telling everybody Just where they can find you at June And any exciting things that you guys have coming up or what we should know about at the restaurant, please. Um, absolutely. So June is located behind Tiffany's uh, just across Route 7 from Tyson's 1. Uh, it used to be across from Hermes. If you know where Hermes was, <laughs> then you know where yeah. June was. Um, and we are open seven days a week uh, for lunch and dinner. Um, and you can see a lot of fun dishes there as we've discussed throughout this podcast, but also we have a lot of fun new dishes coming on the horizon as we like to focus on seasonal mm-hmm. dishes and we're in the heart of tomato <laughs> season right now. So we've got some beautiful tomato and eggplant dishes about to go on the menu and come by and see us. Yeah. Excellent. And, uh, tell me where we can find all your books. Amazon. Amazon. Just Amazon. go to Amazon. But you have a website too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can. Majmia.com mm-hmm. or mage.com. That's the best bit. Okay. I don't sell my book. Mage.com. Okay. And uh, follow me yeah. um, on Instagram. Great. And uh, thank you for having us. Oh, thank, yeah, thank you, you so much. Thank you, guys. I'm Pleasure so, as always. Oh, my God. This is so appreciated. Okay, let me just wrap up the show. So, once again, everything you heard here today, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com. Of course, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, LinkedIn. And this show is on YouTube uh, and all the podcast platforms. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. You have some delicious reading to do and eating to do. Have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.